but uh, yeah. what have you done? All right, well, we'll propose that. We'll propose that. And I'm trying to decide how much of this I can actually use in the podcast. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, there's a list. Shazam. Shazam. Um, Reload. Reload. Apparently, the apparently 2011 was a record-breaking year here. 2011, as they call it. Uh, who is this there, here? There was a couple of marks that fell. Yeah. The National, the National Aeronautics Association, which is an organization I've actually never heard of before. I don't know whether you guys have, but uh, oh, yeah. really, it's only like the oldest national organization in the nation. <laughs> well, yeah, they did say that in their little their little release here, which we'll come back to later on. But anyways, they. Uh, um, they've published this list of the of 2011's most memorable uh, aviation and aeronautics record, air and space records, and so uh, so you know because anytime there's a list about aviation, we have to talk about it on the podcast. We're gonna we'll go through this, this one's pretty good. Yeah, a couple this of them I thought were a little. For example, um, the very first one, yeah. with all due respect to our RC friends, it's an RC record. It's uh, right. Yeah. But, okay. That's, and that's that's. Oh, it's not even RC I'm, actually. It's a it's, glider. It's a glider. Yeah, it's a that's glider. That's a significant it's a pre-glider. Feat. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Let's not let's not minimize that. But one one of the ones that caught my eyes here. Yeah. Was um, where was it? It was Burbank. To to, uh, to uh, South Carolina or North Carolina. South, I think it's somewhere in Carolinas. Yeah. Yeah. Where is it? I saw. I, I just lost it. I just lost it. It's 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 here. It's here. Let's see now. Seven eight seven eighty seven. Um, ah. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Burbank to Savannah. Savannah. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, Hilton Head International. Hilton Airport. Head. Yeah. Right. Hilton Head. Right. Three plus twenty six. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's. Average the 623 miles an hour. It says 623 miles an hour. Uh, I'd I really like to know what their highest ground speed was, though, in knots. That would be really cool to know. It would be cool to know. It would be. But anyway. But there's a lot of stuff in here like yeah, that. Yeah, so um, we got that one. We've got yeah. uh, the, the, the long, longest duration glider, you know, uh, you know, hand, you know, small glider, not like a sailplane. Um, but this is a, you know, sort of, I don't know whether it's a model glider or a folded paper glider or whatever. But uh, they did this in a, uh, in a big, uh, big hangar. And, uh, oh, it's... It was a balsa wood glider with uh, oh, yeah, yep. that made with carbon fiber, forty inch wingspan, forty inch wingspan, and weighed two and one quarter ounces. Right, and he flew it from the floor. I believe that's the way it works. And he flew for one minute fifty two seconds. It got up and spent all that time coming down. I think there's actually a video of this floating around on the internet. This sounds familiar because huh. um, he just kind of you know well, whips this thing. One, and, I, I, yeah. Sure. Another uh, one of the of these records was um human powered rotorcraft. Yeah, I know that was a good one, right? Well, it wasn't oh, very yeah. long, was uh, it? The, the turtle. That's, that's uh, yeah, that's a big deal too. Yeah. Uh, right, Gamera. Yeah, 11.4 seconds spinning using, using hand and foot pedals to spinning four 42 foot diameter rotors. Yeah. I think we talked about this one too. That sounds familiar, uh, but it flew for flew in ground effect for eleven point four seconds. Flight took place on the university's campus at College Park, Maryland. Um, well, she beat her own prior record uh, set two months earlier of four point two seconds. Mm-hmm. Now, College Park. Now, there's a all right. Just kind of stashed that away. That's going to come back to us later on in the podcast. College Park, Maryland. Oh um, yeah. 
Let's see now. So that's that. We're jumping around on this list here. Let's see if we've gotten everything here. We got the 1 minute 52 seconds for the glider. We've got uh, um, distance, 11,894 miles, record for jet airplane. Uh, let's see now. It's, but anyways, basically a, a Boeing 787 completed an around-the-world flight requiring just one fuel stop. Wow. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was Seattle, first it Seattle to one leg of eleven thousand eight ninety four. Yeah, Seattle to uh, Bangladesh, eleven thousand eight hundred ninety four miles, and then uh, yeah, it broke a unrefueled. Interesting. Well, what just interesting. one fuel stop makes all the difference in the world, right? You know, a bunch of years well, ago, Burt Rutan and well, company, you know, they uh-huh, did uh-huh. it in no stops, and that was a huge, huge deal. And but they, they barely did that, though. If you read oh, I know, yeah. the details, I mean, they were even short on gas. Oh, yeah. They were <laughs> they, short they on yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, some of these folks were among the crew that brought the 787 into, uh, into uh, Air Venture last year. Oh, summer. really? Yep. Yeah, including Michael Carricker, uh, the captain. So. We've got, let's see now, speed over a three-kilometer course, 416 miles per hour in a series of four low passes along the runway 826 at Wendover, Utah. Will Whiteside flew an average speed of 416 miles an hour in his Yak-3 on October 11th, uh, beating the previous record of 304 miles an hour. you ever been to Wendover, Utah uh, Airport? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not. It's cool. It's uh, it's it's these days. It's very accessible. It's right, um, literally right alongside Interstate 80, um, at the western edge of Utah, uh, right at the edge of the Great Salt Lakes, where they do the whole uh, uh, Bonneville Salt Flats thing. Um, the thing that makes Wendover uh, so notable is that. Uh, before the interstates were put in, this was a, a very, very remote location. It was sufficiently remote that it became the training base for the atomic bomb missions during World War II. Uh, oh, yeah, right. They wanted something that was like way out in the middle of nowhere where they could secretly be training for those flights. And uh, did, we, did we mention the, uh, the sailplane record, 1,321 miles? No, that's a good one, too. Uh, uh, after releasing a tow above Minden, Nevada, uh, Gordon Be- uh-oh, help me, Batger. David. Say Batger. it again. Batger. Betker, okay, and Hugh Bennett flew their Shemp Hearth Duo Discus Glider, a distance of 1,321 miles, using Jeez. lift generated along the Sierra Nevada mountains. That's pretty cool. 13-hour flight. That would be long even for Jeb, 13 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it took they, two of them. Yeah, right, it's true. But I'm not minimizing their achievement. Don't yes, no, I know. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Another great airport, Minden, Nevada. You guys been in Minden, yeah. Nevada? I have been to Minden. Same. Yeah. Uh, did, so it, it was a place where some hang glider pilots flew in years yeah, ago. Yeah, the, apparently, the, the apparently one Valley of, races. Apparently one of the world-class uh, sailplane soaring locations. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and one of the world class, you know, talk about, you know, when, when you hear about extreme sports, I, I like to think about guys doing hang gliding, launching from places in the, in the White Mountains, uh, uh, out there on the Sierra, well, on the Sierras on the east side, right along the Nevada border, uh, and going, you know, 300, 400 miles on a hang glider. Uh, launching at 6,000 and 7,000 feet on summer days and getting to 17, 18,000 feet or higher. 
Boo and wah. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Soared that high in, in a hang glider? I've been to 16,000 in a hang glider. 16,000 feet in a hang glider. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness I gracious. Long. Goodness gracious. I wasn't gracious. there long. I wasn't dressed how did for you, it. How did you know? An altimeter. Okay. And yeah. An altimeter, a variometer, an airspeed indicator, and a compass and a piece of road atlas. <laughs> okay. Um, I presume you intended to go that high that day. Well, I'd, I wouldn't say I intended to go that high. I intended to get high and go cross-country. Uh, it just kind of got, like, holy crap, strong and concentrated. And I just worked it until I was done. And when I was done, it was right at 16,000. It's coming down at about 1,000 feet a minute. Uh did not get nearly as far as I'd hoped because the downside of that lift was uh, fairly extreme and uh, the only way into safe territory was upwind, territory that I knew I could get to and and have a landing Mm -hmm. uh, zone. Uh, Going downwind, uh, which would have extended my distance a great deal, would have guaranteed I'd landed on something far from horizontal. (laughs) <laughs> um, what sort of gear do you have, special gear do you need in order to uh, get that high, go that high, rather? Uh, presumably some oxygen and some, some thermal well, underwear, right? I should have had some oxygen. I should have had on long pants and long johns and shoes and socks. But it was 82 degrees where I launched. Still. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, none of nobody had been getting very high the, the prior couple of days. And, you, you know... 5,000, we were launching at 5,200 feet, and we were getting to 10 and 11, which was no big deal and not uncomfortable. Most of us were wearing or were flying in pod harnesses. So after you got your legs in the stirrup and closed the door, the only thing showing were your arms and your head. And we were at least smart enough to be wearing long sleeve shirts for what we were doing. But mm-hmm. uh, two or three of us got, you know, bodaciously high in a fairly short amount of time unexpectedly and we're not really prepared for the atmosphere or the temperature yeah but don't you need a clearance in order to go above i don't know what 14k or something like that well I, if i'd have been above eighteen thousand without a transponder i'd arguably been in violation of the forest oh, okay it's 18 not where i was all right yeah okay um the other I question I had about my flight plan if I was going to go 18 in the hang glider. The other question I have about being that um, high in a in a glider is, uh, what's the service ceiling of, of a hang glider? I mean, wh- at what point does you know you stall and and you know that kind of thing get so hairy that you just can't fly safely? I don't think that exists. Really? Yeah. I mean, basically, you get as high as the lift will carry the wing. I guess. That's right. Or the the sailplane. And that only happens as long as the up air exceeds the minimum sink rate of the flying machine. So, you know, Mother Nature can provide you with some pretty extreme rides. You could say that a sailplane's glide ratio is zero if it doesn't have some energy. Um, yeah, okay. Whether it's, it's lift or it's altitude, that it's translating into, into energy. Um, yeah, I, I get that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, and, you know, mountain wave, guys that fly mountain wave uh, uh, lift in sailplanes, you know, they get up into the 30s. Uh, so you can get pretty extremely high. Those guys are dressed for it. They've got transponders. They're, you know, they're filing information right. with ATC. Uh, they're, they're, they're identifiable in the system. 
to mm-hmm. a yeah. certain extent. And they're not hard to pick out because, you know, they're not going very fast in any one direction without pausing to go back up again. Yeah. So let's see now, back to our list here. So we've got the uh, 1,300 miles in a glider. We've got the 623 miles an hour uh, coast to coast in the uh, in the Gulfstream uh, G650. We've got the human rotorcraft, human powered rotorcraft, human rotorcraft, eleven point four seconds, uh, and then this one's really reaching, if you ask me. But here, okay, um, assembled it's out there. It uh, is out there. Assembled mass of spaceships linked in flight, one million one hundred thirty-five thousand five hundred sixty-nine pounds. This was. Uh, Apparently, it was at the last flight of the space shuttle, but it was the space shuttle docked up with the uh, space station, and all told, uh, they massed out to be the, uh, the, the, the biggest, I guess, if you will, the massiest thing that uh, we've ever flown. So That's, uh, it, it, it kind of adds some perspective for me about just how big that space station is, you know, how much hardware is really up there. Well, when you start thinking that uh, it's still over a million pounds if you take the space shuttle away. Yeah. Well, it would be over a million pounds if you took the shuttle away. You think the shuttle weighs more than 135,000? Yeah. Okay. You could be right. So this is the uh, from the N, uh, NAA or NAA.aero uh, website, the National Aeronautics Association, which, as you pointed out earlier, is uh, apparently the oldest, let's see now, what is it, the oldest, uh, I wrote this down, oldest national aviation organization in the United States. So is this, this is not associated with the, the organization that used to be the, um, what, the FAA used to be the CAA, right? Yeah. No. Right. No. Yeah. That's this, this Civil is, Aeronautics this, Association. Right. I mean, administrations. Administration. This, this is a private Agency. organization. Agency. This is a private nonprofit organization. This is this is the North American and U.S. affiliate of the international sanctioning organization, whose which name escapes me right now. Um, Federation Aeronautique Internationale. Um, you know what? If, if thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and this is just their, you know, I won't say agent, but uh, their their recognized affiliate here in the U.S. Oh, okay. That's not to minimize what NAA does. They do other things, too. Right. What sort of things do they do? Because I confess I'd never heard of them. I've heard of the one that, J- that Dave just referred to. But uh, Well, let's click on uh, um, uh, About. I'll read from their the opening graph of their About page. The National Aeronautic Association is the oldest national aviation organization in the United States, a nonprofit association. NAA is dedicated to the advancement of the art, sport, and science of aviation in the United States, according to its mission statement. Core of the core of the organization is its members, thousands of individuals, organizations, and corporations representing all segments of American aviation. NAA encompasses all areas of flight, from skydiving and models to commercial airlines, military aircraft, and spaceflight. Yeah. Ka-ching. Cool. And you're right, dude. Uh, maximum landing weight on the shuttle, 230,000 pounds. Empty weight, 151,000. Right. right, and fuel and, fuel and, and on a mission with crew, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, on that note, welcome, folks, to uh, episode 274 of Uncontrolled Airspace. I was, I was wondering if you're going to get around to that. The General Aviation Podcast. Clear. Here, here, hold it up.
background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really noise. good background noise. That's yeah, right. this, is, this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders now. Skyriders now. They, they, does that say UCAP? I can't. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight, clear around. Turkey National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. We're recording this episode on, uh, what is it, Wednesday afternoon, late afternoon, February 15, 2012. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, my two good friends. Uh, Jeb Burnside's out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing tonight, Jeb? I'm doing well. Uh, another productive week. Uh, weather's turned out magnificent here in the last couple of days. Um, no issues. Yeah, it got a little chilly, though, didn't it? A couple it, nights ago? I didn't even turn on the heat. Really? Okay. Seriously. No, okay. I, I, you know, I'm... Uh, burn a few logs in the fireplace in the evening, but other than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. What else is going on? That's it. it. Just trying to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I know the feeling, but actually, sadly, lately, I don't. Uh, it's, but uh, things are about to get busy again for me, but we'll, maybe we'll talk about that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, also here in the virtual hangar is Dave Higdon talking to us from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you tonight? Just lovely. Just wonderful. Uh, you know, hanging out with my buds here and uh, coming off a real productive uh, week and a half or so. Got more work and more in a pipeline and beer in the fridge and friends on the line. What's not to like? Yeah, I know. You're 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 a busy guy these days. You you you've I don't know. I you know the the economy's coming back. I think. Knock on wood. You know, but. Uh, um, there are many signs that point in that direction. Yeah. So. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I am talking to you from the UCAP Winter HQ on the evergreen slopes of Garrison Hill in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where it's uh, still, it's not winter. This is just the weirdest winter I've seen in a while. Um, we have no snow on the ground here. It was 40 degrees here right, what today. Could we, what a you dink. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was like 40 degrees here today. It was beautiful. It's nice, you know. I mean, especially for February. It's gorgeous for February. And uh, uh, getting better every day. Anyways, what's going on here? What do we want to talk about? Let's see now. I actually made a list. Let's see. <laughs> no kidding. Really? You made a list? Oh, I, first of all, I just want to mention um, that... Uh, uh, so uh, I have some interesting weekend plans. Uh, I'm going up to the infamous uh, Alton Bay Ice Airport. Uh, oh, cool! On Winnipeg, oh, wow. Lake Winnipesaukee. Um, I got uh, I got uh, a text message from uh, our listener and friend uh, who goes by the name of Laminar. Uh, he flies the uh, the Nordo Cub uh, down from Vermont to our meetups, and uh, in the wintertime he puts skis on it. And he is going to be flying into the Alton. And so this Sunday, Alton Bay holds their annual, the, the, the village of Alton Bay holds their annual winter carnival. Uh, and uh, a lot of people, you know, when the ice runway is operational, a lot of people fly into it. Um, and so he's going to fly in on his uh, ski-equipped Cub. And we, we spent some time trying to figure out whether or not I could meet him someplace and that I could then fly in and, and land at Alton Bay with him. Um, but uh, because there's no snow on the ground here, we couldn't find a snow runway anywhere. And uh, it's been so warm that the the ice on a lot of the lakes I was looking at in the area just didn't seem quite right. So, uh, so we oh, decided... Oh, they're ski skis, not uh, convertible. Yeah, no, it's ski skis. It's not, it's not yeah. a, whatever the snow equivalent of Amphib is. No, it's just... it's. Uh, 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 skis so uh, he can't land on a regular runway um 
So we just how, said, how, how many ice cubes can you rack, round up? Yeah, I know, really. So well, what, uh, what was the airplane again? It's a Cub. It's a, a Piper Cub. How about a wet grass runway? Yeah, well, I don't know. I've seen that done with floats. I'm not yeah. sure skis would work. Well, we yeah. were casting. Getting, getting it down is probably not the big deal. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. Yeah. But there's is there there's an Alton Bay ice runway, just nonetheless. Yeah, and so he apparently did the research. I I did not, um, but he called. There's actually both a recorded information line you can call, and there's a phone number for the uh, the the manager of the airport, um, who who per- apparently throughout the winter does drill tests. He actually puts a whatever through the ice to measure the the thickness of the ice, and. Uh, and so he spoke to the uh, to the manager of the Alton Bay Ice Runway or Ice Airport, and uh, and he's been assured that the ice is safe and that a lot of airplanes are going to be flying in and it should be fine. Sure. So uh, so I'm had so we we spent some time trying to figure out where I could go and meet him so that we could then fly in together, and we we started ending up coming up with with locations that were further away for me than for me to simply drive to Alton Bay. And so we said, oh, well, I'm just going to drive to Alton Bay, and you let me know what time you're going to arrive, and I'll be there with a video camera, and I'll catch you uh, landing on the ice runway. And uh, and we may go flying while he's there, but uh, but it's going to be fun. I, I'm going to I'm look forward to that. I haven't been to the ice runway in quite some time, and uh, um, that'll be fun. And I've never been to the Winter Carnival, so that'll be fun. Um, they have a Winter car. Do they call it a carnival? Yeah, I think so, or they call it a – yeah. All right, now you're gonna make me yeah, Google I've been it, right? to winter. Car- I've been to winter carnivals in New England. Alton Bay Winter Carnival. Let's see what Google has to say here. Happiest guy. I went to a, a, a winter carnival uh, up in Western Massachusetts. As a matter of fact, when I was you know, a long time ago, and the, the guy that I I thought had it roughest was the fellow at the dunking booth. <laughs> uh, you guys should have just gotten a link through Skype. Uh, see if you can click on that. There's some pictures. The Alton Bay Winter Carnival. I'm not sure if this is uh, from past year, but uh, there's, it's just uh, apparently there's some sort of odd sled contest with some sort of custom sleds, according to this picture. I don't know if you're looking at it. I see a mattress. Yeah, there's a mattress and a baby uh, baby crib. and uh, Looks all like on. a Looks like a couple of Adirondack chairs on on two yeah. by four. So see, there's, it's, a, there's a crib. Yeah, it's yeah. your kind of event, right? You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> an Adirondack chair with skis on it. You know, it's like yeah. there you go, there you go. Anyways, yeah, but look at look at these pictures a little bit more closely. Some of these people are walking on ice. Yes, well, that's okay. the which means it's cold there. Well, that, yeah, okay. okay. Um, so right away, there's a disincentive for me. Yeah, I know. Quite frankly, we hope it's cold, because <laughs> the ice and warm, it kind of gets, well, anyways, that's going to be this weekend. I'll report back next week. I'll let you know how that turned out. But uh, I, Ah, I, it looks slick. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's see now. Oh, I know. I was gonna. Th- I was thinking it would be cool if I could insert a bit of audio from the Wizard of Oz, where they're singing that song, "Ding dong, the witch is dead." Which, all right, <laughs> okay, man. Um, so, who is it? The FCC announced this week that they are going to decline to grant Light Squared a permanent, whatever certificate license uh, for their uh, their controversial system. Great. Great soundtrack, dude. Great soundtrack. Yeah. So, uh, is this done now? Is this uh, a, a, you know? No, it's not. It's not done. No, it's yeah. Not done. What'll happen next? <laughs> Someone will sue somebody, or they'll come, 
you know, someone will direct the FCC to uh, reevaluate their decision or Lightspeed will come back um, with another petition for um, more spectrum or different spectrum, yeah, which well, is kind of sort of what I expect right. them to do, have expected them to do all along. That's perfectly fine. I got no problem with Light Squared. I mean, if the, their system seems kind of interesting, if it weren't weren't going to be killing GPS, so if they can just find some other spectrum, like you've said all along, that would yeah, be the except, solution. You know, except, except for the you know rendering obsolete and and um, inoperative every modern navigation system on the planet no it there wasn't anything fundamentally wrong with the application yeah but no okay all right anyways so i mean they 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 got into this mess uh following the administrative procedures act and 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 the requirements of the bureaucracy you know there, there was an application and a comment period and they issued the conditional use permit and now they're proposing to undo that which you know, you know, triggers the, the similar kind of stuff. They got to propose to rescind this. There's got to be an opportunity for comments. They'll get to make your arguments, like Jeb says. Then they'll have a formal meeting and they'll say, "Sorry, no, but not only no, but GPS, no." And then maybe it'll be over. But I mean, there's there's definitely going to still going to be a fight going on. But I think that the the chances that they will prevail with the system that endangers GPS are pretty much done now. That, yeah, that's think, looking that's, right. That, that's, that's looking that's, good. That's the punchline. Yeah. They'll be back. Um, I don't think they're going to try to, uh, for the same bandwidth again, they'll, they'll stomp their feet and someone will make them a, uh, you know, an offer they can't refuse. Yeah. This presumes that they've got enough money to actually do a lawsuit. The, 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 I've read stories that suggest that they're on the verge of running out of money. Light squared uh, is. But, uh, there, 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 may be a, there may be a line of thinking there that they, they still own this spectrum. They still own this spectrum. Right. That but, they but, could uh, maybe trade that with somebody for some spectrum where they could do what they want to do. But absent the satellite component that was their, the original plan before the company that is Light Squared bought that business and morphed it into this idea. Right. Jeb, go ahead. Yeah, I was I was going to say, if if um, if they go bankrupt, well, you know, they should have thought about that before they tried to you know ram through something that wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and maybe they'll think twice and it, it won't waste more money on a lawsuit and put it toward the engineering it'll take to redo this someplace where it doesn't screw the world's most sensitive and accurate navigation system. Right. That's in in a mess of bucks. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, so Ding Dong, the witch is dead. Uh, we, yeah, we uh, what was the line? We uh, you you uh, you liquidated her. That's what it was. Huh? <laughs> Dave gets it. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, uh, longtime listeners will know that we obviously love our air shows, and uh, uh, of course, most notable of which is Oshkosh and Sun and Fun, um, but lots of others as well. Came across an interesting story, or just a story that made me think, and uh, uh, by uh, Janice Wood in the General Aviation News. Uh, I'm reading the version that was on the website. I'm not sure if it was in the print magazine as well, but uh, she writes, "Do you remember your first air show?" She says, "Do you remember going to your first air show? Were you a kid, or was it?" just last year uh was it when you took your kids for the first time uh there are almost as many stories as there are air show fans and that got me to thinking so do you guys remember your first air show i do yeah. what, jeb what was your first air show i don't know the date it was 
most likely the, uh, well, it had to have been the early, uh, well, mid-60s, no, later than the mid-60s. Um, the airport was uh, uh, Carbondale, Murfreesboro, Illinois. Uh, the identifier is uh, Mike Delta Hotel. Um, it was the closest airport to the, to the house I lived in at the time. And uh, I, I remember penny a pound rides. You pay, you step on a scale, and however much you weighed in pounds, you gave the guy that many pennies. And you got to go for a ride in an airplane, most likely a Cessna 172 or 182. And, you know, went around a patch and, and like that. I presume I, had, I did that. Um, I also presume that I'd been in an airplane. I know I'd been in an airplane before that. Um, but I do remember that. And we stayed to the very end. This is my father and I. We stayed to the very end. And uh, as the aircraft were leaving, one of them was a, a for real P-51. Hmm. And, and we stood and watched it, you know, go down the main runway and take off. We, we were standing by the fence, literally. And, um, and then a Learjet 23 um, taxis out and starts to take off. My dad said, now you think that was interesting. Watch this. <laughs> 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 and, and the little Lear started to make like a 45 caliber bullet and, and just was uh, head and shoulders faster and, and uh, more maneuverable, agile. Well, I don't know about maneuverable, but faster and, and, and sexier than the P-51 had been. Not that I would turn down either one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I have vivid memories of that. that as I say, this was... Uh, it could not have been well you know obviously the Learjets had to be in production um, but it wasn't much later than 64, 65 couldn't have been Mm -hmm. David you remember yours? I remember about the same time my uncle gave me my first ride in his new 182 uh, going out to uh, Haps Airport uh, outside my hometown, it was about a twenty six hundred and fifty foot by thirty five foot asphalt strip with a little block building with an upstairs that looked like a tower cab uh, and there'd been flyers around downtown uh, and you know to come out it was some kind of flying circus thing visiting there's three or four airplanes i think a couple of old steermen uh, a cub or something like it uh penny a pound rides were part of it uh mm-hmm. the, we we didn't get to do that but we did get to watch eat some cotton candy and watch a crazy flying farmers act uh, i remember yep, that yep oh yeah i remember that too uh, oh yeah and uh the uh the uh, signature skydiver uh, the death-defying feat. Now, this is about 1957 or 58. Not seeing squares, not seeing the big relative work teams, and and all that stuff. This guy went up in one of the seats of the steerman, and the steerman rolled inverted, and he fell out. <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> and he fell for about 10 seconds, and you know, and pulled open probably 800, 1,000 feet off the ground. In this big old army surplus round parachute with yeah. slots in it, mm-hmm. uh, and that was it. My mother went back to the car. She watched that guy go upside down, and it didn't fall out. And she's like, "No, nah, that's a bit much." Uh, we watched. I talked to the pilots. Uh, they said they'd be back next year. I said I'd be sure and have eighty cents. 
<laughs> That's great. I, you know, I don't have quite as vivid memories of my first air show, and ironically, mine, I was much older than you guys. I was probably in my 20s. I'm I'm 99% sure that it was uh, an air show that was at uh, the South Weymouth Naval Air Station, which is a naval air station that currently doesn't exist anymore, that's uh, south of the Boston, greater Boston area. And I went down. The attraction was that one of the big jet teams, I want to say the Thunderbirds, but I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure it was the Thunderbirds, but it was either the Thunderbirds or the Blues, Blue Angels. And um, and they were going to be performing there. And but that was What the, aircraft were they flying? Oh, I have no idea. Um I have no idea. Um, this was long before I ever thought that I would ever be able to learn how to fly. Um, and, and I, you know, so I, it was kind of a different experience for me because I was not at all involved in the flying world at the time. But we wanted to see the jet team, so we went down. Um, sadly, um, I remember that I, it was overcast that day, and the clouds were relatively low. So everybody was doing their low shows. What I didn't know what it was called at the time, um, but uh, it was apparent from the public address announcer that everybody was doing these limited uh, versions of their performances because the because the clouds were relatively low. And so we got to see the Thunderbirds. I'll, call, I'll say it was the Thunderbirds um, do their do their low show or some sort of you know uh, abbreviated performance as they do. Um, and a few other performers um, did a performance. One thing that I always remembered was that the announcer made a big deal about the fact that there was this one performer that wasn't your usual air show performer. He didn't have a biplane and do, you know, fancy loops and rolls. I mean, you know, air, the, the traditional kind of stunt pilot. He flew a regular airplane, and 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 the, and the announcer was trying to impress upon everybody how incredible this routine was, and it was so sad that we weren't going to get to see the entire routine today. But he flew, you know, again a, an abbreviated version of of his routine, and it was only years later that I put two and two together and realized that that day I saw Bob Hoover do uh-huh. um, an abbreviated version of his energy management routine, uh, which fortunately I was able to see him do the full show many, many times years and years later. Um, but uh, well, after that thing, when I was a kid, a couple of buddies and I riding our bicycles out to this place way outside where we were supposed to be with our bicycles, uh, mom and dad showed up later. This was all prearranged. Very, very cool. Mom went back to the car. But I was working in uh, aviation writing uh, for a magazine the next time I saw a real air show, and it was sun and fun. Mm-hmm. It's a long time in between. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know when my next one after, after this one in my 20s was, um, although my 20s is only you, about five or ten years ago, so what the heck. You know, it's, Jack, let me ask you a question. Yeah? We've, we talked a little bit about you know, air shows and as, as youth and whatnot. You say you didn't attend an air show until you were later, you know, a little bit older in life. And at the time, were not, had, had not even thought about learning to fly. Mm-hmm. What made you want to learn to fly? What made me want to or what uh-huh. tipped me over the edge to actually begin? Both. Okay. Well, what made me want to was I always wanted to. Um, I mean, that was one of the appeals of going. why I was interested in going to an air show. I mean, I, ever since I was, you know, old enough to whatever, you know, I, I would slow down when I was driving by an airport, you know, to kind of check it out and see what's what. Um, I was always, I always found the whole thing fascinating and appealing. Um, 
in, in years later, as I sort of started to think about what what was the appeal, I realized that at least part of it is that I love gadgets and airplanes are like the ultimate gadget. It always mm-hmm. seemed to me, um, and of course they have great gadgets in them in the panels and you know the all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love maps. I've always been fascinated by maps. I, I can take a map and just spend a long time exploring a map. And and to me, flying is like flying over this great big map. You know, I mean, you, mm-hmm. you know, you and I give each other a hard time because I love no, I, looking at the ground. All right. And that's, I get that. I get where, that's that. where my thing comes from, is that for me, flying is about watching the ground and watching things go by and figure out what that is and what's that town and that river. And, you know, so I always knew I wanted to learn how to fly. Um, but I never seemed it never seemed within my reach. Um, not necessarily, well, partly for money reasons, partly because I just didn't even know how to approach it. And then, uh, um, I, and I think I've told the story on the podcast. But the short version of the story is that uh, what actually got me started was when I first moved to California, and I moved into an apartment in an apartment complex. And my next door neighbor, we were standing on the steps talking um, soon after I, I moved in. And uh, we were just talking about what we did and what was going on. And uh, and this woman mentioned that she was learning how to fly. And I said, oh, yeah, that's cool. I've always wanted to learn how to fly. And she said, and God bless her, she said what we should all say to people who give us this opening. She said, oh, well, you got to come on over. I'll introduce you to my instructor. You'll do the demo ride, you know. And that's what I did. I, you know, I went over there to the airport. Go. I met up with her she introduced me to her instructor i did the demo ride and you know the rest is history um, did you did you marry her yeah i wish <laughs> i wish you got, you got her phone number uh no i uh, no, no but uh she uh she introduced me you know she introduced me to the instructor and and told me that it was as easy as that and ever since then i try and do the same thing by you know if anybody's at all interested i always say to them i say listen it's you know you got to go do the demo ride you know and i describe to them the whole situation you know that it's called something like a demo ride any place that's got a sign that says learn to fly here you know we'll have something they'll call it an intro flight or a discovery flight or whatever they call it um and it's totally they not threatening, the, and you know, you should do it. They should bring back the penny a pound with the idea: your first flight lesson for ten cents a pound. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, could do something like that. But the demo flight—I mean, that's—it's that simple. I, I've I, of, I've often thought something like that as a promotion. You know, Dave, to be honest with you, you know, uh, I wouldn't go a buck a pound, obviously, but uh, a nickel a pound dime a pound you know something yeah um you know it's not rocket science and you know keep it in, in to, to pocket change keep it to an impulse purchase kind of thing it, 39 dollars yeah, maybe it was nine maybe it's 99 dollars now i don't know what the what's the ad, nationally advertised intro ride price is that's too much money yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, you know, I've talked about this in the past. It should be free. Yeah. If the FBOs were smart, you know, it that's, would be a loss leader and it would be free. Um, that, that's what I, uh, what years ago, I'm getting my license in the little Cherokee that we bought. And my bride, Annie, wants to get her ticket. She doesn't necessarily want to be using the same instructor. She wants to pick one of her own. So she contacts the National Association of Flight Instructors. She gets a list of about 10 or 12 local ones, starts going down the list, calling them up, you know, doing the research that she does and the way she does it. And the very first, uh, the very first person, uh, 
Uh, <laughs> the very first person to take her call to talk about this was a full-time flight instructor here in the Wichita area who proceeded to pepper her with his version of 10 questions. First and most insulting being, well, does your husband know are you married? Well, does your husband know you're doing this? Well, what do you want to do this for? Well, what do you plan on doing with the license when you get it? Uh, I, know, I know Andy pretty well, and, and that, that's, let's just say that wasn't going to flog very well. <laughs> oh, and, and, and after a point, she just let him go on because she's getting more steamed. Yes. What do you plan to do? You got any thoughts about what you're going to do with it? He's going to fly the airplane my husband and I own. Oh. <laughs> well, uh you know, you, 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 you're going to need this, and it's my, we, yeah, we've got that covered. Uh, well, uh, if you want to come down and talk about actually doing some instruction, she goes, oh, that's nice you got around to that. Thanks. No, I don't believe we'll be doing any business, but I appreciate your time. And when I came home from flight instruction that day, she related this, and I went, oh, yeah, I've heard of that Nimrod. Uh, wow, he's dumber than I thought. Oh, man, uh, yeah. Third person on the list, she calls, and the guy says, oh, that's great. You'll never be sorry. When you come, when can you come out, and we'll schedule you for an initial lesson, and we'll talk about what you're going to need to do. Like, yeah, okay. Went out and did it. Guy says, you know, you might want to talk to this guy, too. He's a better flight instructor than me, and it was my flight instructor. Mm-hmm. So after all that way around the horn, she wound up flying with Don. Uh, and uh, it's only through the vagaries of medis- medical certification that she doesn't have her license at this point. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Sport pilot, though. But she could land an airplane. Yeah, sport pilot. Okay, well, that's... Not that's, exactly, no. That's, yeah, I know, I know, whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, so, uh, well, that's cool. Yeah, first air show, and... Uh, um, I, I wish I remembered mine better. I wish I remembered mine as well yeah, as you guys remember yours. Yeah, I wish I remember more of of uh, my first one, but I remember enough. Yeah. So, moving on here. Let's see now. Oh, okay. So earlier we had "Ding Dong the Witch is Dead." Uh, now we've got uh, what was the song from Schoolhouse Rock? All right, how a bill ke- becomes a law. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, finally, and the- I'm not sure you can do that now under the current uh, process. Yeah, I know. How well, many yeah. verses would I, that I, sucker have? To- it would be a longer song. There's no I, question. I prefer about- the I prefer the Richard Durning sketch in uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Yeah, what was where that? He, where he does, he's he's the politician and he he does a little dance and and. You know, he never, never can never get nailed down on an issue, and he does this whole little song and dance bit. It's, it's not all that bad at all, but that's that's kind of my. All right, we'll uh, check that uh, one my, out too. My uh, little tchotchke. That, we'll uh, check uh, that one out too. What we're talking about here is that uh, the the third leg of the trifecta has been completed. The president has signed uh, the FAA budget, and now for the first time in the history of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast, we have <laughs> we have a budget for the uh, the. Uh, FAA, um, and uh, you know, finally, good deal. Hallelujah, hallelujah, everybody, and everybody patted themselves on the back. Hallelujah. Somebody on Twitter today said to me, he said, he said, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't, but he, he basically said, uh, the FAA has a budget and Light Squared has been canceled. What are you guys going to talk about now? <laughs> <laughs> 
and my response to him was the weather. You know, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. So, anyways, um, well, this, the, this really kind of puts the kibosh on the songwriting project I had called "23 Continuing Resolutions on the Wall." <laughs> Oh, that would have been good, though. Yeah, right. So, uh, anyways, the uh, the the that, that's all. No real news here. Um, it, it's been been uh, signed by the president. And uh, happy it, Valentine's Day. We have a, remember we, the date. We have a budget. Um, Jeb found for us a link to a, a PDF file of the actual bill, which we'll put in the show notes. Or or Jeff only one hundred forty five pages. Well, yeah, I know. Like the table of contents is six pages long. You know, <laughs> um, so. Uh, but well, uh, if, if there are, if there is anyone out there uh, among our listeners uh, who has trouble sleeping, we have the cure. Yeah, I know. Read this sucker. You yeah. Read this. Sucker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the FDA caution is that reading this has not been approved as a known sleep aid, yeah. but it is anecdotally recognized as one of the more powerful sleep-inducing agents in civilized America. Well, yeah. thank you. Neither, neither has it been considered a controlled substance. But That's true. Uh, so um, you can roll it and smoke it if right. you want. This, 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 you just approach with caution and, and, and uh, you know, as we say at the, How do you uh, at the top of the podcast, remember your training. Yeah, there you go how, exactly. Do you anybody know how you light how to light a PDF? No, I, well, I don't, but I'm sure some enterprising listener will figure it out. If I was going to do it, uh, you know, the, the South Georgia way, I'd print out a copy and then put my bic to it. Yeah. Bic, you said bic with a b, like in Bravo. I said bic, yeah, yeah okay. Bravo, India. Yeah, okay. Charlie. All right, moving on. Let's see now. We got off-field landing of the week. Uh, this is a a flight from some place where they don't speak English. Um, it, it sort of looks like Spanish, but I think it could be Portuguese or something like that. Um, this is a YouTube video about a, uh, a 172 that uh, lost its propeller in flight, which I just hate it when that happens. <laughs> and uh, it, it sounds like, again, it's in a foreign language, so I couldn't, couldn't quite. I, th- I think that's Mexico. Okay. XB, I think, is Mexico. XB is Mexico? Yeah, yeah. I th- the, the one, the ep- recent episode, I remember it was in Mexico. Uh, and the you know video is video. Yeah, um, it's yeah, the, the same. Yeah, it was it was somewhere in the, in northern Mexico that this occurred. Right. Um, seems like it was a training mission. Um, what I did get from the notes was that uh, there was an instructor pilot in the right seat, and uh, they were just cruising along, and someone in the back seat was shooting video, and the video starts out with a number of different you know your your usual you know shots out the oh, window. Oh, okay, Belo Horizonte. That's uh, that's Brazil. Yeah, I don't know why I thought Brazil, but wherever it is. Yeah, Brazil, Belo Horizonte is built Brazil. The Gizmodo article says Mexico. There may be another episode of this phenomenon. Yeah. Okay. Well, the one we're looking at, that's right? True. The one we're looking at, they were they were they were flying along a cruise and having a nice time, and apparently they weren't shooting video at the moment that the prop departed the airplane. Um, but suddenly we we come back to the the airplane and the two pilots up front. Uh, no, no panic, certainly. They they're just kind of a little bit more you know serious looking, and they're they're peering around, looking left and right, and and uh, apparently looking for places to land and trying to plan their approach to uh, to a road where they actually set the airplane down and uh, and so they landed on the road and rolled out and everything was fine it, it was just astoundingly uneventful um and 
you know, congratulations to them for, for getting the airplane on the ground safely. Um, yeah, this is we, uh, the location of this is uh, outside Belo Horizonte in Brazil. Uh, it may be a Mexican airplane for all I know, but uh, yeah, yeah, and that's Portuguese on the on the web page. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that because I have no idea about Portuguese. Now, now this happened up near this happened up near Renton, Washington. Uh, off Boeing Field years ago. Well, yeah, losing well, your prop. This this happened to um, our f- favorite X-rated United States Senator Jim Inhofe. Oh, it's that's been about, right. It's been about ten. Now it's been longer than ten years. Uh, he was flying a Grumman uh, single. I don't know, Tiger, Cheetah, whatever, Traveler. Oh, uh, and he lost the prop. The prop fell off. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the guy with. I'm looking at the guy with the wire snag. Oh, that's that, that's happened before too. That happened. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah, let, that let, happened uh, up in Seattle. Yeah, now let's come back to that one. We're still talking about the 172 that lost its prop. Oh, I'm sorry. That is Mexico. I'm sorry. Oh, that's what's that going is Mexico. on here. No, no, no. We're not talking about the 152 hanging from the wires. I wasn't even sure right. if we were going to get to that tonight. That's but, my mistake. Yeah. Sorry. No, the 172 that lost its prop during cruise. How do you lose the prop, by the way? So what? What? what that's real easy. Who does the shaft breaks? The shaft breaks, um, or, or the shaft breaks? Um, uh, I can't imagine, you know, it coming coming unbolted and not, you know, really seeing that on a pre-flight or being able to notice it. But I, I guess that can happen too. Right. You get a failure in one bolt, and and you know the rest of them start to weaken. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, this I would case, I would guess just... I would guess crankshaft failure. Right. Now well, from in the in the video at the end, there's a. <laughs> Leading second there when the video pans past the nose of the airplane and you can see there's a plug in the crankshaft so that's a fixed pitch prop mm-hmm. uh, but there's no prop flange around it uh-huh. so the flange left with the yeah. propeller yeah. the crankshaft broke like Jeb said but it, all it broke was it took that flange off the front because right. if it breaks farther back than that it usually breaks an oil seal that makes it god awful hard to see out the front of the airplane. Yeah, yeah, and that wasn't happening to this guy. Yeah, You're really lucky. Right. It, it seemed like everything was really very much under control, and they they had plenty of options for getting on the ground. Um, it, as the prop departed the airplane, it looks like it kind of banged up the 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 front part of the cowling, particularly on one side. So it kind of left. Yeah, it, at a little bit it, of an it, angle, but it may not have have departed the the. the um, Fracture or breakage cycle uh, and actual departure of the propeller may not have uh, been within one revolution of the prop. It may have been several revolutions. Right. And, and it had plenty of opportunity to bang up the sheet metal. Yeah. L- losing, losing part of my prop is one of the few failures that kind of I think about from time to time. The idea, I don't know whether, I guess maybe a CFI early on impressed upon me the fact that if you lose one of the blades on your prop, if you don't lose mm-hmm. the whole prop, if you lose one of the blades, the whole system gets so out of balance that it's probably going to, I don't know, He. I mean, he kind of, I don't know whether he was just trying to scare the you know wrath of whatever no, into man, me. man, you shut that sucker down as quick. As you yeah, possibly that's right. Absolutely can. right. Because it can rip the engine out, is what he let, told exactly. me. I better believe it. You know, yeah. and 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 you don't want to lose your engine because it's yeah. more than just not having power. Without that weight, you're in, you're pretty much done. I, I guess you know. Well, well you no, got I mean, a serious. Here, 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 here are several. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, you got a serious out-of-balance problem. That's what I mean, All yeah. the weight off the front of that puppy. And uh, you, you're, yeah, you, can you say wildly out of CG? Yeah, really. Jeb, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it really depends on the airplane, though. I mean, here we've seen um, th- this 172 in Mexico clearly had somebody in the back seat, so it was clearly not, you know, front-loaded on a CG. Right. Uh, we saw the same. We saw the same thing with Enhoff. We've seen it. There was a. It's been about a year or so ago now, maybe two, um, where a Lance Air Four lost its prop and landed on a South Carolina beach, but hit a, a, a jogger, killed a jogger. The airplane was fine, but they hit somebody when they landed. Right. Um, that was, uh, you know, again, a, a prop. The prop fell off. There have been a lot of episodes of this where the pilots, you know, didn't have to use superhuman skill to to get the airplane on the ground without its propeller. So it's not fatal, right? Uh, without the not, propeller, yeah, yeah, without the, yeah. without the propeller. And I would I will also suggest to you two things: one, without the propeller, windmilling, you're going to glide a little bit further than the book says. I would imagine, yeah. Okay, and and you should you should think about what speeds to use. They may or may not be. Uh, the published speed with the went with the uh, propeller windmilling. Oh, so, you could probably go a good bit faster and, and keep a good sink rate. That's interesting. Well, the I wonder if that number's there. in the manual. Do you know? It's, I'm, I'm sure it's not likely to be in the I manual. I would doubt that, seriously. But, yeah, the loss of weight. I mean, the propeller's the most forward thing on the airplane, unless it's a pusher. Uh, the most forward thing on the airplane. Uh it's going to screw with your weight and balance a little bit, but uh, particularly a fixed pitch prop, uh, the amount of weight you lose out there relative to the whole weight and balance issue is not terrible. You lose firewall forwards. You got a whole different set of problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when you make a cell phone call and say, screw FCC regulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, congratulations to these pilots in uh, Mexico, I guess we decided, yeah. um, for uh, safely getting on the ground. And uh, and we thank them for posting the video. Learn a little lesson there. Um, we'll maybe talk about this 152 and the wires a little bit later on. We're re- kind of reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um David, I, I, you know, it's funny. We keep coming back to this to, to ask you about these things, David. But you have a lot, have had a lot of friends over the years um, in the aviation industry. Um, I, I met Daryl Murphy a, a, a few times back in the days when uh, GA News ran the uh, the Oshkosh Daily newspaper, the Air Venture. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he'd stick yeah. his hand in there all the time. Yeah, and so I met him, and I and my recollection is a, a, a number of very interesting conversations with him about things. Seemed like a very very nice guy. Um, we lost Daryl Murphy. Uh, very recently. David, could you, you apparently knew him better. Could you tell us a little bit about Daryl Murphy? Well, Daryl was, uh, from his observation, a Texas farm boy who uh, was part of a, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the word mafia of, of older aviation writers that were dominant when I came into the business, but he was definitely one of the, one of the vintage soldiers who was well-known and well-liked and did good work. Uh, and after he retired, I did, if I remember right, he did PR work for some of the companies. He did some work for petroleum, mostly did some work for some of the trades. And then, uh, he retired, went back to Texas, uh, continued to do some freelance work. And then he wrote his, uh, aviation fact book and published it a few years ago. Uh, kind of one of the more curmudgeonly 
uh, gentlemen of the gang that helped bring me along. And like you said, you know, interesting guy, a lot of fun, wicked sense of humor. Uh, and was uh, one of Dave Scalaire's favorites. Uh, D- Dave used him in the magazine in GA News for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Daryl and his wife were always uh, fun to hang out with. And you could usually get unfiltered camels off of him. <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, did you know Daryl? I uh, met him once or twice, but I didn't have any kind of relationship with him. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the uh, the page on uh, well, this is actually Wings Over Arkansas is the dot com website um, where there's a page that has a sort of an archive, a collection of a lot of his clips, um, and uh, you know. He, he he before I knew before I started going to Dave Higdon for fact checking, you know, antique aircraft facts, you know, what's this airplane and what I used to go to Daryl back in my first couple of years uh, on the uh, on the Oshkosh Daily. Oh yeah, he was better than I'll ever be. And uh, you know, and and he would not only, you know, help you figure out the the fact of whatever airplane you were trying to write about, but then he would have some interesting story or or you know, related fact or whatnot. Um very very friendly guy, big smile. I I just you know, again, the the GA News wasn't very involved with the uh, with the newspaper after those first couple of years for me, and so sadly I didn't have that much contact with Daryl after that. But uh, but I do have some fond memories, and uh, he's just recently passed away. He'll be missed by by everybody in our industry, I'm sure. What else here? Let's see now. Uh, I want to jump to shoutouts. Uh, anything else on this list we don't want to skip this this week? You don't you don't want to talk about Skynet. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Skynet here, real quickly here. Skynet Watch. Uh, you know what? This could be a weekly. This could be a weekly. You know, uh, series here, just like off field landing of the week. All right, this could be Skynet Watch. All right. Uh, so you you say there's a. Is this part of the FAA budget or is this some other some other bill that got this, passed? This is part of the. This this is part of the reauthorization. Bill. Okay, so the reauthorization. You're saying that thanks to the reauthorization, the public can expect thirty. Thousand domestic drones flying over the United States was, in the I next eight years. I did. Week. I did not say that. A news article said. That. Well, yeah. Okay, you're yeah. calling our attention to this news article. First of all, let correct. me clarify something. Thirty thousand. Is that thirty thousand aircraft or thirty thousand operations or what? What are they talking 30, about? Thirty thousand ops. But this is what I was complaining about last week. Oh, it's the PowerPoint. That, you know, these guys were in a. Members of Congress are doing a little regulatory meddling in here. Uh, complaining that they that the FAA needs to have a policy on these things, and they do have a policy. The policy is unless they can do see and avoid at some level, not yet. But yeah, this this website, you know, I grabbed their lead graph off of that, right? Uh, and stuck it into the into the, to the notes here. I stuck it into the list. They're saying that in their in their opening graph in this story. Uh, this is not a mainstream news organization. I don't know where they get that, and they don't justify it in the article. It may be in a linked um, a PowerPoint pr- uh, presentation mm-hmm. uh, that is provided uh, at the bottom of the page. Uh, I have not had a chance to look at the PowerPoint. So 30,000 may be a gross exaggeration. It could be the number of operations. It could be the number of airframes. Uh, regardless, they're talking about over the next eight years. Um, now, um, there's a reason I grabbed a copy of the bill and, and put a, posted a link to it. 
just real quickly, just talking about unmanned aircraft systems uh, into the national airspace system, not later than 270 days after enactment, which was what yesterday, uh, FAA, federal agencies, et cetera, shall develop a comprehensive plan to safely accelerate the integration of civil unmanned aircraft systems into the national airspace system. Um, rulemaking, um, uh, establish standards and requirements for the operator and pilot of civil unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, timeline for phased-in approach. Um, uh, they're going to do this uh, by establishing some some zones. If they, I don't know what what the official uh, word here is. Um, where these operations will be conducted over a test uh, in a test fashion. Uh, test ranges, they're calling them. Six test ranges um, starting 180 days after enactment. Uh, that testing program to terminate five years uh, from yesterday. Uh, test range locations basically in the uh, continental United States. Um, da 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 da. Um, now, then we get to um, special rules for certain unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, notwithstanding the 270-day lead time on the previous regulation uh, um, that was specified, um, 180-day fuse on the Secretary of Transportation, uh, Secretary of Transportation, excuse me, determining if certain unmanned aircraft systems may operate safely in the national airspace system before completion of the plan and rulemaking we just read about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're, they're trying to fast-track some of this. They can't wait 90 days, basically. Um, requirements for safe operation, et cetera, et cetera. They're calling this, instead of see and be seen, it's called sense and be seen. Okay. Um, yeah, it goes with sense and avoid. There's also a special rule here for model aircraft, and basically a model aircraft is defined. And, and uh, it shall weigh no more than 55 pounds uh, and uh, not flown uh, within like five miles of an airport or something like that. I haven't had a chance to really read. Yeah. I'm sorry, it can be flown within five miles of an airport, uh, but only um, uh, with some, some operator, airport operator agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this, is a, this is an interesting set of uh, uh, words here. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I don't know, there certainly is no uh, definition or number of aircraft uh, that would be allowed to operate in the national airspace system under in, in this in the statutory language but this is what became law yesterday and it might be a good idea for all of us to really understand it yeah unintended consequences hey there's big money in this man I mean, you know, there's, there's big, big money. money by by the number of startups and the amount of investment money flowing to it. Well, here's, and here's, some of it has the potential to be good, good, good things. But what is all this stuff going to be used for? I keep wondering what's the rush? Uh, what's the what's the pilots what, out of jobs? Right? Why 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 two hundred and seventy days? Why not? Okay, let's. Why don't we have a federal program? Uh, of course, you know we pretty much already have that. It's called the military. 
I'm going to say federal program to design and build the most efficient ones, but we already have that. It's it's um, uh, done a lot of testing and it works fine. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. Never mind. I'll shut up now. Okay. I, I, you know, you're right. I mean, we've been sort of half joking for a couple of years now about drones in the national airspace, but uh, this is obviously becoming very real. And uh, you know, I don't know. You know, we're gonna have to learn how to. I don't know what we're gonna have to learn how to do, but it's gonna be an issue, right? It a, is a an government, issue. yeah, a government public safety agency to uh, uh, operate unmanned aircraft weighing 4.4 pounds or less. If a or one operated within line sight of the operator, less than 400 feet above the ground during daylight, within Class G, and outside of five statute miles from any airport, heliport, seaplane base, spaceport, or other location with aviation activities. One more reason to live in a residential air park. Yeah, yep. there you go. Yeah. Does it really call out spaceport? It says spaceport. Cool. Brave yeah, new world. Yeah, they got you because they exist now. They do, I know. Yeah, what, there's like two of them, right? Or is there more than two? Well, we've had one in Cape Kennedy, Cape well, Canaveral all right, for that's years. been three. The two that and I'm another familiar one at, another one in California. Mojave. Now we're getting commercial ones. <laughs> right. No, they didn't didn't the uh, the Virgin folks? <laughs> What's the matter, Jeb? <laughs> what did we say? Did we? I'm say- just thinking about all the competition you're going to have. I, I was just Dave was talking about um, uh, Cape Canaveral and that complex, and I'm just thinking about all the competition you're going to have to try to squeeze an unmanned vehicle into that airspace. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, didn't the, the Virgin Galactic people established a spaceport in, like, New Mexico or something like that, yeah. I think? Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, and there's a couple of others going up. Really? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. All right. And there's I, I, space I for I more. I don't think they should be called spaceports until someone actually returns to one of them from space. That's a good point. Well, no, Mojave then? Mojave qualifies? Well, Mojave, Mojave would qualify. Yeah, okay. And okay. Canaveral. So, so would qualify. Canaveral, and so would Edwards. Yeah. Edwards, that's yeah. right. Uh, not Edwards, um, Vandenberg. Well, no, they, they would land a space shuttle at Edwards, so that's a spaceport. Yeah, but they launched from Vandenberg sometimes, don't they? So that'd be a spaceport, Vanden, too. Vandenberg doesn't qualify. No one's ever landed there from space. Well, but they launch to space from there. So what? Okay, you're saying it's got to be yeah. a two-way thing, right? Yeah, no, it's got to be a one-way thing. yeah. You're not calling. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of shots from a lot of places, but I think you should a spaceport should be determined by the designation should be determined by uh, whether you can land there on okay. returning yeah. from space. Right. Can it accept incoming traffic? Right. Okay. All and right. Technically, Vandenberg could too. You just couldn't use it a second right. time. Yeah. <laughs> Once. <laughs> you could say the same about Hidden River. Yeah, I know. All right. Shout outs. What do we got here? Wait a minute. I've gone to the wrong page here. Shout outs are, uh, let's see now. Uh, David, you got a shout out here, don't you? Kind of, well, kind of, sort of. Yeah. Aero Expo in the UK. It's like a big air show for GA people. Uh, they're going to do vintage. They got workshops and forums. I kind of think of it as like a sun and fun for England. Uh, coming up in May, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have the link May 25, 26, 27. If you live in the neighborhood on the continent in England, or if you're planning a trip over to uh, the mother country uh, and you're going to be there that 
particular time or you think you could adjust. Uh, I hear it's a good show. I have not been. I know some of the folks that work it. Uh, so Aero Expo UK, May 25, 26, 27 in England, Sywell, uh, England. And there's another one, I believe, in June on the actual continent for the folks over there. So that's it for me. Cool. Cool. Um, a quick reminder uh, to folks who hear this podcast in time, uh, we are doing a, a UCAP meetup uh, at uh, uh, Nashua's uh, Boar Field, uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, uh, on Saturday, February 25th at 10 a.m. at the Midfield Cafe. So uh, if uh, you're in the area and got nothing to do on that Saturday morning, come on by, have some breakfast with us and uh, and chat, and we'll wander the ramp and look at the airplanes, and we generally have a good time there. So that's uh, Saturday morning, February 25th at 10 a.m. Let's see. Now, the other thing I wanted to call attention on, this is maybe this should have been more than just a shout out, but I came across this uh, announcement about the red flag uh, uh, exercise. This is the big military exercise. I've photographed launches for that one. Have you really? I, you know, I mean, I've heard of this before, but I've never actually seen a press release. Um, it, it talks about, uh, let's see, it's supposed to take place uh, uh, February 27th through March 16. Uh, they're obviously doing this out in the middle of nowhere desert in Nevada, but they launch out of Nellis air force base and and the thing that particularly caught my attention here is the list of hardware that is going to be based out of nellis and taking off uh, as as many as twice a day apparently there's two big sorties that they head out in one in the afternoon and one in late early evening or something like that according to this release yeah, yeah. and uh some serious serious airplanes here i mean we got uh we got uh ea6b's we got uh f15's we got f22's we got b2's we got f16's f18's uh e8's e3's f oh man i mean just some serious serious airplanes here um i i mean i just want to go and 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 you know camp out under under the uh, departure end of this runway and watch this and did, did you did you catch this What's that? that? That big list is just the U.S. forces aircraft. Yeah, and then there's there's other nations that are participating as well. Well, the RAF from the U.K. will be flying GR4 Tornadoes, I believe they are. Uh, Royal Australian Air Force, they'll be flying F-18s. Uh, they can have as many as a half a dozen other nations participating in this puppy. And you can see quite a variety. Uh, it can be one ground-shaking, noisy place when they launch those puppies because they'll, they'll put 116, 118, 120 aircraft in the air <sighs> in about 35 or 40 minutes. Yeah. It must be awesome. So uh, to our friends uh, in the Las Vegas area, um, first of all, if you fly in the Las Vegas area uh, around the very end of February and into the middle of March, uh, heads up, keep your eyes open because there's going to be a lot of airplanes coming and going out of Nellis. And uh, second of all, you know, tell us about this thing. I want to see pictures. I want to hear about what these launches are like and, and the recoveries for that matter. Um, very, very cool. Sounds, sounds really neat. Um, so that's red flag uh, in uh, at you know Nevada. Well, this this aviation photo group that I belong to, we had our annual convention in Vegas one year, and the uh, field trip day coincided with the uh, Thunderbirds, who are based at Nellis. The Thunderbirds' last full dress rehearsal before they started the tour for that season. Uh, that was after a museum tour in the morning and a lunch, uh, the Thunderbirds, and then a briefing, and then they parked us between the two runways. 
Mm-hmm. And, and for 90 minutes, we were treated to this sound and thunder running back and forth from one runway to the next as about every two and a half or three minutes, one runway would launch three to six aircraft, full afterburner, fully armed, gross weight takeoffs. And then you'd run over to the other runway and wait for about 90 seconds, and they'd start off of that runway. Man, that just sounds cool. I like it. Oh, wearing double hearing protection uh, because the runways aren't that far apart. Uh, You could be close to the wrong one and still suffer damaging noise exposure. Uh, And they brought us about four liters of water per body. On the, on the buses that brought us out there because it was in the 90s and about 3% humidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can get hot man, what a show. What a show. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So, very cool. I, I want to try and track down more information about this. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, Jeb, any shout out? Uh, real quick. Um, both of you will remember um, <clears throat> Lynn Harrison Reinhardt, who lived across the street from me uh, here at Hidden River uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she moved away. She and her husband, um, I don't know, it's been a year or so now. Um, and um, she uh, is very soon now um, getting her airplane back after uh, had needing some repairs and some work done on it. And um, her, um, um, she, she had a little... Um, um, she had a little problem uh, getting in the cockpit. So that's uh, almost fixed. And uh, she will be flying again very soon. Cool. Yeah. Uh, hopefully flying hey, congratulations. her. Congratulations. Yeah. Hopefully flying her airplane. And uh, really looking forward to that. And just wanted to say, go get them, girl. That was a clipped wing Taylor craft, if I remember. Clipped right. winged Taylor craft. That's exactly right. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's very. Yeah. We 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 tried to go and visit her um, when we were out there at Sebring, but. Uh, that we didn't, we couldn't, but we couldn't kind of coordinate the schedules. So maybe next time, uh, you know, well, obviously you can go visit her anytime you want, but uh, that's right. But that's I would love to see this airplane. Um, I remember I also got a chance to peek in it, uh, at it um, a couple of years back and uh, would like to see it again. Very cool. Can I, can I throw in a late one real quick? I you, didn't have it on the list and I, I had a paper note scribbled that I just realized I hadn't put it down. Fans of the show Ice Pilots. Or if you're a fan who's never seen it, but you've heard about it, and you haven't been able to get it on cable, well, the one channel that every cable system in the country runs continuously is picking it up starting March 5th. Which one is that? The Weather Channel. Ah, okay. They're going to start running episodes of Ice Pilots, which for those of you that don't know, it follows the... uh, the uh, endeavors of a uh, crew of uh, uh, pilots in Canada's Northwest Territories. Uh, I think it's Buffalo Airways. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, and it can be kind of salty. It's uh, it's you know a little closer to the reality television that I'd like to think reality actually is real about. But. Yeah. And, and ice pilots definitely, you know, kind of define the genre, if you will. Um, and uh, and and as a result, there's a bunch of others now. Um, ice pilots is great. Um, I actually prefer Flying Wild Alaska. Have you watched Fly, Fly, Flying Wild Alaska? Yeah, I like that. I like that one. And then I recently was surfing the channels, and and I just saw part of one episode of a new one called Alaska Wingmen, 
which I, I really kind of liked the, the little bit that I saw. So there's a lot of these to, to choose from these days. Uh, certainly the classic uh, uh, Ice Pilots, but uh, but check out all of them. I, I think yeah, that's that, the Canadian production we couldn't get down here for, for a quite while. some time. We couldn't get it. You're right. So and then it's been showing on a, a, a cable channel that not all cable systems carry. But I've yet to stumble into a cable service that doesn't carry the weather sh- the weather channel. Chip. Yeah. So so. Very, very cool. All right. Listen, we got to definitely stick a fork in this one. Uh, Dave Higdon, uh, uh, good to see you again. Good to talk with you. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? You got anything uh, coming out uh, soon? I got, a little piece in, I got a little piece in the February avionics news uh, called Help for Sea and Avoid. Uh, it's about portable collision avoidance and traffic detection systems that can play on your portable devices or on your panel-mounted devices. Uh, what to look for and some of the uh, uh, hardware that they'll play with. Very cool. And where can people generally find you on the Internet? Oh, uh, avbuyer.com, AEA.net, which is – I will send Jack the link to this story so he can have it for uncontrolled airspace. Uh Oh, just do a Google search and <laughs> buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. And Jeb, good talking with you. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Well, uh, I think I mentioned last week, just getting safety in the can. Um, um, had a couple of good articles. I thought it was a really good issue myself. Um I did an article on um, uh, Air France 447 mm-hmm. for safety, but I did a, an article on Air France 447 also for uh, uh, another organization. It'll appear in a magazine called uh, uh, Avionics News. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard com- of that outfit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Com- coming, coming soon to a mailbox or uh, uh, avionics shop waiting room near you. Very cool. And generally speaking, where can people find you on the Internet? <sighs> Man, I wish, you know, that Google things really 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 <laughs> my style here lately um but uh yeah i mean you, you you meet a you just walk up to a new woman in a bar or something like that and she pulls out her phone and googles you and, and just kind of looks up and kind of shakes her head <laughs> <laughs> sounds like okay there's a story so here I, man. I, I really don't want to talk <laughs> yeah i know all right well i'll be back in a few weeks so we'll have to we'll have to get together on that one hey and i'm jack hodgson i'm a private pilot a fl- freelance a freelance a freelance writer and then flea i like that freelance yeah no freelance writer and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and around the field. Please check out my uh, first ebook, uh, uh, the volume one of uh, the collection of around the field stories from uh, the writings that I've done at uh, Air Venture over the years. How uh, many volumes will there be? Uh, there will probably end up being, well, you know, ultimately there will be an infinite number of them because I'm not done writing these things yet. But uh, the current backlog will probably produce about four volumes, I believe. Cool. Cool. But it's going to take probably the better part of, uh, you know, uh, you know, up until Oshkosh time before all four of those are available. Right now, Volume 1 is available. Actually, Volume 0 and Volume 1. Volume 0 is uh, available uh, uh, for either $0.99 cents or if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can get it for free. Um, and Volume 0 just contains 1998. And then Volume 1 contains 1998 through, I believe it's 2001. Um, and uh, that's two ninety nine. It's through uh, the Amazon Kindle bookstore. Um, and uh, please take a look. 
Let's see now. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So enough of that. <laughs> pitching all of our different projects here. Uh, big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP Disclaimer Clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation wiki, movies wiki. list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Um, David, you were going to say something? Live forever, go fly. Because, you know, uh, like, man, uh, like uh, the time uh, spent flying is uh, uh, not subtracted from your lifespan. Unlike this podcast. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Adios. I'm just a bill, yes I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the capital city. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Uh, what are we drinking today, boys? I just opened an Abita Amber. And on the standby, I've got an Abita uh, Mardi Gras Bach. It's a seasonal. I failed, I failed to solve the beer problem here since last time. You'll recall that... <laughs> I had now, a dude. Now, dude. Now you had. A, you've known since Thursday that I know. Wednesday was coming. It's my own fault. It's my own you've fault. You've been out of the house. I was. Ju- I have been out of the house, and yeah. uh, I was just out now uh, inventorying the refrigerator, and uh, and and I certainly have decided that the lovely Britney's Bush beer is not a candidate again this week. Um, and uh, it, for a fleeting moment, I did consider pouring myself a glass of the lovely Brittany's uh, white Zinfandel, but uh, maybe, I don't know, I decided not to. So, well, I don't think it'd change your voice or anything. No, no, no. So I have, uh, I have, I have diet ginger ale <laughs> and a bottle of Jack Daniels. So we'll oh, see. Well, we'll see uh, how it goes. I'm sorry. What did I say? Fudge. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so it just, it, it, I don't know what you what what you're planning on doing with the ginger ale, but the Jack's a good place to start. Yeah, well, no, I've actually it's you know it's sitting here just waiting, inviting, and uh, well, see, I, I've you know as much as I yank your chain, um, uh, Jack, <laughs> I I fully support the concept of of you not imbibing before um, the <laughs> podcast is completed. <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> you you yeah, may not get your wish tonight, that's, but that's on the record. So. You may not get your wish tonight. Yeah, but, but but if I don't and something happens, it will come up at the next board meeting. <laughs> yeah, I understand, dude. I I, 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 I salute and admire you. And if you're going to go doing the podcast with without uh, the usual contributory power of and influence of alcoholic beverages, I'll, I'll just want to say, have fun. Well, <laughs> I know. Uh, here's another concept. I mean, we, you know, 
uh, have a little contest to see, you know, uh, who's done what while recording the episode? <laughs> this would be like a classic Seinfeld you know, episode. Microphone. <laughs> this would be like a, a classic Seinfeld episode, man. And I'm telling you, I would win hands down. Right? Well, it's, it's it's entirely possible. I've seen you work. Yeah, uh, I mean, in, in terms of 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 being uh, of being restrained, that is, I would win. Uh, remember, that's that was what the episode was. The episode was how long can you go? And uh, oh, that that was the um, the uh, um, the the what did they call it? The bet or the the? No, it was uh, um, master of your domain. Master, master of your domain. But I don't think that was the name of the, that was well, the we, title of the episode. But that was definitely that, the the, that the, was uh, the theme. We have a couple of our own in that category. That won three small words that didn't mute. <laughs> Well, um, we could also we could also have a, a uh, you know thread in the comments about what, what are the what are some of the things you've done while listening to the UCAP podcast. <laughs> well, that's true. There is a thread going on in there right now about well, where have you where do you listen, and that's ha that's produced some interesting stories. But uh, yeah. what have you done? All right. Well, we'll propose that. We'll propose that. And I'm trying to decide how much of this I can actually use in the podcast. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Hey, there's a list. Shazam! Yeah. Shazam! Um, Reload. 